On June 20th, 1631, a small village along the coast of County Cork, Ireland, named Baltimore, was attacked in the middle of the night by pirates. I know that sounds crazy, but this actually happened. The pirates were known as the Barbary Pirates. Uh, they were this outfit of Muslim pirates from North Africa, who, in addition to attacking and robbing merchant ships, would also raid coastal towns in Christian Europe with the goal of kidnapping as many people as they could. All right. So on this night in 1631, they kidnapped 237 souls from this village along the coast of Ireland. They would then bring these prisoners back to North Africa, where the pirates would demand huge ransoms for their return. And I mean, only the really rich could could pay these ransoms. And the poor would then be condemned to slavery. Right? We can imagine the utter helplessness of those individuals who could do nothing but wait and pray for someone to come and save them. For some, that help did arrive. But if no help arrived, uh, the rest of their life would be that of a galley slave or in some kind of a harem, harem or enforced manual labor. You know, this, was, this wasn't this uh, was an incredibly common problem, but it wasn't unheard of from, say, the 1200s until the early 1800s or so. And it was such a problem in the 13th century that St. Peter Nolasco founded a religious order called the Mercedarians whose mission and charism was ransoming the most impoverished Christian prisoners and slaves from Islamic North Africa. These mercedarians would raise money, travel to wherever these captives were held, and negotiate their ransom, their release, and bring them back to their home. You know, I, I thought of St. Peter Nolasco and the uh, mercedarians recently as I reflected on the words of St. Paul from his first letter to the Corinthians, where he tells us that we were bought with a price. Something that at first glance may seem demeaning, but upon closer inspection, it reveals the great dignity that God has bestowed upon us. Because the price that was paid for us was not insignificant. It was not a trivial amount. In a sense, the price that was paid for us for our redemption from sin and death was infinite. The redemption wrought by Christ, culminating with his death on the cross, is the price paid to set mankind free from slavery to the sin, death, and the devil. In First Peter, we read that we were ransomed not through silver or gold, but through the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. It is something we say multiple times at every single Mass, in the communion rite we sing. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. And a little later on, the priest elevates the chalice and shows the host while saying, Ecce agnus Dei, behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed is he who is called to the supper of the Lamb. And we get this from the first chapter of St. John's Gospel, when we see St. John the Baptist identify Jesus as the Lamb of God on two separate occasions, right? And so, Here's the scene. John the Baptist is with his disciples. He's with his disciples and sees Jesus and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Now, I mean, that's great and all, but wouldn't it have been better to say, Hey, see that man right there, Jesus of Nazareth? He is the Messiah. You know, that Savior we've been looking for for centuries? That's him. I mean, that would that would seem to be a lot clearer than to just call him the Lamb of God. Here's the, the crazy part. You know, John the Baptist is saying this to his own disciples. His own disciples then go and follow Jesus. 
Why? What does it mean to say Christ is the Lamb of God? Well, we find our answer in our first reading tonight from the book of Exodus. On the night in which God liberated the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, he commanded that they perform a feast, a feast which they were to continue to perform each year in commemoration of their liberation, the feast of Passover. During the feast, each household was to offer an unblemished male lamb as a sacrifice, after which they were to cook and consume the entire lamb. At the first Passover in Egypt, the blood of the sacrificial lamb was applied to the doorposts and lentils of the house of the Israelites to save them from the angel of death. Now, this is relevant because the Paschal lamb was a prefiguring, a foreshadowing of Christ, the Lamb of God, who offers to God the Father something he loves infinitely more than sin displeases him, his only begotten Son. Christ on the cross offers a perfect sacrifice, which, as St. Thomas Aquinas tells us, super abundantly atones for our sin. Moreover, just as the Israelites had to consume the sacrificial Passover lamb, so in the Eucharist, Jesus gives us his very body and blood. We consume Jesus, the Lamb of God. And in so doing, we are saved from the dominion of Satan, and the grace, uh, the supernatural life of grace is nourished and grows within us. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who redeems us on the cross so that we can one day hope to attend the eternal banquet of the Lamb in heaven. And it's on this night, Holy Thursday, that Christ gives us the Eucharist and the priesthood. It's a wonderful reality to contemplate, but frankly, it's a bittersweet one to preach on right now, given that so many of the faithful are prevented from attending Mass or receiving our Lord in the Eucharist because of the the pandemic and the cancellation of public masses. I don't relish preaching on the beauty and importance of the Eucharist, knowing so many are kept from receiving him. Yet maybe, maybe, perhaps the pain so many of us feel in being separated from the Eucharist is part of God's providential plan. Actually, there's no maybe there. It is part of God's providential plan. You know, a poll came out not too long ago, which said that one in three Catholics no longer believes in the real presence, no longer believes that Jesus Christ is really, truly, and substantially present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist under the appearance of bread and wine. That's terrible. The Eucharist is the source and summit of the faith. The Eucharist is the source and summit of the faith. And so maybe God has permitted all this to wake us up. To remind us that the Eucharist is not a joke. It must be the source and summit of our lives. Maybe it's to call those devoted devoted souls who ardently already believe that maybe by their witness, their intense desire to receive our Lord, um, they can be a witness to non-believers and the lukewarm alike. You know, maybe it's to combat religious indifferentism, which is so much a part of our society. I mean, so often you hear this, aren't all religions the same, all denominations the same, you all say the same basic message, just be nice, um, do unto others as you would have them do to you. Okay, all right, that's just kind of pick a denomination that you like. Well, this pandemic is showing that, no, that's not true. I mean, yes, when you talk about our Protestant brothers and sisters, we have a lot in common and, and that's great, but we also have important differences. You know, a lot of our Protestant brothers and sisters are, this pandemic has taken them away from their community, which I'm sure is incredibly difficult. I don't want to minimize that. 
but their services are geared towards preaching, prayer, and scripture, things that the technology uh, can deliver into our homes. I mean, people can pray with scripture at home or in a, in a Zoom conference. Uh, t- technology has made preaching widely available, but you can't receive the Eucharist over Zoom, over a podcast, over live stream, you know? That's not how sacraments work. We need to be physically present. And so it's created real suffering. And hopefully that real suffering bears fruit if we unite it to Christ's suffering on the cross. That suffering bears fruit for those Catholics who've lost faith in the Eucharist and the real presence. You know, whatever the case may be, this pandemic, it too will pass. It will not last forever. In the meantime, let's stay united in prayer. Pray that we might all more fervently become devoted to the truth that Christ is really, truly, and substantially present in the Eucharist, body, blood, soul, and divinity, under the appearance of bread and wine. Let's pray that the Eucharist may more and more become the source and summit of our lives. Let us pray that we might long and hunger for the day when we are gathered together again to celebrate the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, the new Passover, the Eucharist, when we can receive the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world.